You're just projecting. You just you just project so much when you speak. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that is what my father used to say, Bonnie. <laughs> Were you allowed? So loud. <laughs> We'd be in the car and he'd be like, turn it down. <laughs> It used to make me very angry. And so then I would pout and I wouldn't talk for a while. Oh. And then mom would be like, Bonnie. <laughs> We'd like to remind you that the information contained within this podcast reflects our own personal opinions and should not be held as any kind of official recommendation. That's right. This podcast is for our own purposes. It's educational mm-hmm. and, and for entertainment. Mm-hmm. Edutainment, if you will. <laughs> We're just a couple yahoos with master's degrees, and this isn't a professional capacity. So if as you're listening to an episode, you feel that maybe you need help with your own mental health, please do contact your own doctor or a therapist. And finally, we try to stay pretty clean with this podcast, but sometimes we slip up and sometimes we just talk about weird stuff. So <laughs> <laughs> it might be not safe for work. You'd probably better listen with headphones. Hello and welcome to Freudian Sips, the podcast about brains, beverages, and other BS. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Anna. Oh, you're singing a little bit. I tried like to put some pizzazz <laughs> in it. Put a little, put a little mustard on it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm hungry, so maybe that's why. <laughs> don't, don't talk about mustard. <laughs> what are we having with our mustard? Pretzels, a hot dog. I don't oh really like gosh. mustard on my hot dogs, though. Mustard on pretzels? Like soft pretzels, you mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Because I was thinking like crunchy pretzels. <laughs> that I'm like, would be weird. Why would you do that in mustard? <laughs> what okay. episode are we on, Anna Marie? One ninety. Ninety. Wow. It is taking us a long time to get to a hundred. You mentioned I that know. a couple episodes ago. And we're not as we're not as consistent as we should be. We're sisters. not on task. We are not on task. Things are happening. The world's on fire pretty consistently. But, you know, I've been noticing, though, that maybe we were a little um, aggressive in the beginning of doing it every week. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if that's the right word, but um, we were really motivated. I have noticed that, that there are a lot of podcasts who maybe do it once a month or every few weeks. So I'm not feeling quite as bad, but I am feeling a little bad. So sorry, Sipsters. <laughs> I also feel bad. I know that we were pretty consistently putting out content and... Now we're not as much. I mean, I don't feel as bad since we do have kind of a backlog. You know, people can kind of just We binge. hope that you will listen to other episodes if you have not. Mm-hmm. And if you have ideas for us, um, we always encourage you to send us ideas because yeah. that's nice. The and more ideas we have, the more content we can create. Exactly. This is a symbiotic relationship here. But I do agree with you, Anna, that the whole pandemic thing affects all of us. And it's it's even affecting us in this because it affects our jobs and very much and the time that we have to get together and our own anxiety loads. So... Yeah, every so. client I have that comes in and they're like, I'm just like really tired or like I'm really down or whatever and I don't know why. And I'm like, I don't know. Have you gone outside lately? Have you looked at the news lately? Have you <laughs> like, there's a lot to be upset about right now. Exactly. So Sipsters, if you're feeling a little down today, it might be because of that. And we would like you to get some, do some good self-help. Oh, okay. Get some help. Get some. Just get some help. Alcohol. No. <laughs> Stop it. Get some help. Get some help. Yes. <laughs> Stop feeling so sad. 
We've got a couple of pre-roll things today, actually. <gasps> really? Okay. Give us some pre-roll here. So one of them, I, I was originally planning on reading. We got a really, really sweet email, but I don't think I'm going to read a lot of it because it does seem kind of personal. But I will give a shout out to Emily, who sent us a really, really sweet email about how she's been listening to the podcast and kind of through listening to the podcast, she has discovered that she wants to go back to school to be a psychologist. That's awesome. Oh, that's so, so amazing. Emily, hi. Emily, Thank you, so you made much. us you made us both cry. Yeah, we so cried. You know, we cried a lot. <laughs> we did cry. <laughs> that was a thing that happened. And and we're still was like I, I've still been kind of emailing back and forth with her. So so That's cool. Yeah, she's really sweet and that was such a sweet email to get. And that's kind of that's one of the reasons that I feel both guilty about not putting as much content out but also you know hey if we can get a couple people to really get value out of this cool Mm -hmm. that's all i need even if it's some good laughs if you get some good laughs out of some of the things we haven't done a whole lot of laughing stuff lately but (laughs) and today i don't know i don't know that we'll do a lot of laughing i'm gonna laugh are you gonna laugh today it's pretty serious so emily I know that your clients will be really blessed by you because yeah. it sounds like you're an awesome person. So when you get around to doing the client thing, I bet the client gonna, thing, the client thing, they're going to be really improved in their life because of you. My words are so not working today. <laughs> I say things and then I'm like, you're like, Crap. does that make sense? <laughs> makes Crap. sense. We're all good. That We're was good. really not. <laughs> I kind of talking sort of like Yoda, <laughs> like putting words not oh. in order. Ooh, you have a new lightsaber. It's not new, but... No? (gasps) Okay, I got distracted by a lightsaber, but we also have a review to read. A five-star review from Podchaser from Jimmy, who says, I love the podcast, informative and entertaining at the same time. This definitely makes my commute enjoyable. Thank you for all you do. Aww. Thanks, Jimmy. Yay, Jimmy. We're sending you a sticker. (gasps) A sticker going out. A sticker going out. Peoples, peoples, do you have your stickers yet? (laughs) This is a big deal. If you don't, if you don't have your sticker, what are you waiting for? Just do a review and send us an email. Yep. Simple as can be, folks. Send us an email so we know where to send your sticker. That's what the email's for. Yeah. Emails these days are kind of old school, which scares me. Are they? I'm thinking. I don't think that's true. (laughs) <laughs> well, now you just Snapchat and you just you push a button. You know how many emails like, I have? Yeah, I have a gajillion. Have a- <laughs> okay. And, no, there's one more. Okay. This is, <laughs> my friend Kim sent me an article mm-hmm. because it has something to do with Sigmund Freud. The article is about how eels only have sex in the last year of their life. And I bet you're wondering, what does this have to do with Sigmund Freud? <laughs> sex. Anything that has to do with sex well, has something to do with Sigmund Freud. You're not wrong. Okay. So the article, it's kind of a, a question and answer thing. And the question is, later the young Sigmund Freud spent a summer trying to crack the eel mystery. Wasn't he hunting for some evidence of testicles? <laughs> yes, that's an amazing story. Freud was 19 years old studying natural science and he wanted to solve the eel question. This was in the 1870s. By this time, they had found a female eel with eggs inside. So to solve the eel question, they had to find a male eel with sexual organs. <laughs> Freud went to Trieste to find the eel testicle. That was likely the holy grail of natural science at the time. <laughs> he spent a month in Trieste and dissected over 400 eels. <gasps> oh my gosh. <laughs> the next question is, he got the eels from fishermen? 
They say, yeah, every morning he went down to the harbor and picked up a big basket of freshly caught eels. <laughs> then he went to his lab and cut them open for the whole day looking for the eel testicle. Of course, he didn't find one testicle. And he had to write a report that concluded that he hasn't been able to solve the eel question. I think it's very funny to think about. This is the man who laid the basis for modern psychological therapy and the man who developed the theories about penis envy and castration anxiety. He started his scientific career by trying to explain the sexuality of a fish and he failed. <laughs> Sigmund. So if people so are so critical of needed, his life choices, if we needed another reason to bully Sigmund Freud, it's that he dissected over four hundred eels to look for a single testicle and didn't find a single one. Okay, so this is my ignorance. Don't eels oh, have male parts? That was that was the only part of the well, article I, I read. I would like to know how he didn't find a testicle in four hundred um, eels. No person has ever seen eels mate, so they like. They have invisible testicles. So after this podcast, after this episode is recorded, I'm going to go research I was going to go Google eel sex. <laughs> also, how Turn long- Turn safe search on, please. Uh, so how, how long do eels live, I wonder, um, that they wait till the last year? I mean, maybe they only live two years or three years. But if they live like 50 years and they wait till the last year, that's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> that's like chastity at its ultimate. They might live in a pond for 50 years, and then they suddenly <gasps> decide it's time to swim back to the Sargasso Sea to reproduce. So they might live for 50 years. Eels. Dudes. And, <laughs> or maybe there are no dudes. Dudes. <laughs> dudes and ladies, go get laid. All right. So now that we've made That's fun of Sigmund Freud, and now that we've read some very sweet things, what are uh, what are we talking about today? Um, we're talking about a very unique situation that happened a long time ago, actually, like in the 1800s. And it's something that maybe you've heard about, Sipsters. A man who had a very bizarre injury and the way that his injury impacted neuroscience, so to speak, was the study of the brain and, and therefore kind of over, over, overlays, overlaps. Over, overlaps. See, words. <laughs> Over what's that word? Okay, over <laughs> overdoes into psychology because it, we talk about the function of the brain in this story. Uh huh. So the man's name, just his name, is cute. I think it's cute. You think it's cute? Okay, Phineas. Phineas. Yeah, it Phineas Gage. Phineas Gage. Have you heard, Sipsters, of Phineas Gage, the guy who got the spike? He got his a spike head. in his head. Through, through his, his head. I am. I gotta be honest. I am so excited to talk about this. This is like since we started the podcast. I've wanted to talk about. Are Phineas you serious? Gage. Yes. Oh, I don't know why it's taken me ninety episodes to be like. Let's I was talk about say, Gage. I didn't know that you had such interest in this person. I think he's really interesting and cute. He's cute. <laughs> um. Yeah. Sipsters. There are pictures if you Google him. That- I'll probably put one on the episode uh, cover as oh. well. He's spooky a little bit too, though. A little, I mean, because he's that's had mean. his injury. Well, his <laughs> eye is—yeah, he closed his—he's blind in his left eye because of his injury, so his eyes closed. But he's still very handsome. Did he actually have an eye? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I it stayed it. in there. <laughs> I think. <laughs> I don't know, man. The spike went. I don't know where the spike went exactly. Went well, we'll talk spike. about it. <laughs> okay, so sisters, should we do like a gross warning for um, this one? It, we- it gets kind of gross, sisters. If we do a gross warning, all bets are off because it does get gross. Well, I don't want you to. We'll do a gross warning, but I don't want you to get okay. as gross as. I mean, some of the things I read, I was like sitting at my computer, like, Blech. whoa. 
Yeah, because it was very graphic. It won't graphic. get that gross. It won't get that gross. But okay, well, it'll get kind of gross. We're going to be talking about a almost mortal. It should have been mortal. Should have yeah. been mortal. Yeah, really all accounts. Been. Yeah. yeah. I want to go back to the picture for a minute because he is a handsome man, but the accident or whatever happened like, I don't know, you'll I'm sure get the exact date, like 1849 or something. Mm -hmm. And this portrait that we see of him was not identified until 2009. Yeah. Which I think is amazing. What did you say about it? Somebody thought it was. So when they found the picture, it's a, so it's a daguerreotype and it's like small. It's like two inches, like by like two and a half by three you're such, inches. You're such an art major. What is it? <laughs> a daguerreotype. It's a type of portrait. It's a little picture. It's a little picture. <laughs> a little picture of a guy. And I actually know what a daguerreotype is from a video game. From oh, Life, really? From Life is Strange. Oh, yes. <laughs> so Here I'm thinking that education really paid off. No, no, no. That college education. <laughs> No, no, it was a video game. It was a video game, and it's it's really, but it's really tiny. And some, and the people who found it posted it online, and they were basically like, "This is an unidentified man with his harpoon," and so he's holding the 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 rod that went mm -hmm. through his skull. And someone replied and said, "That's not a harpoon. This guy is not a whaler." And then someone else, like as they kind of talked about it, they said, "I think <gasps> this might be Phineas Gage." Yeah, that's so cool. Okay, so where do you want to start? Do you want to tell his story? I do. Tell I really story? do. Because you've been so excited about this episode. This is going to be you, baby. I'm going to just sit here and kind of throw throw words at you once in a while. Okay. Probably not appropriate words because I can't get them right, but we'll see <laughs> what happens. Not appropriate words. <laughs> Every tell once in a while, mom will just curse at me. <laughs> Anna, tell us a story. Okay, tell okay, us a tell story. a story. So we need to start this story with, with uh, who was Phineas Gage? Because that's going to be important later when we talk about maybe how this actually and changed him. Mm -hmm. uh, according to Google, when you look him up, Phineas Gage was an American construction foreman, which is kind of bearing the lead, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, it's not really why we know him. Mm -hmm. He was the first of five kids born to Jesse Eaton Gage and Hannah Trussell Gage of Grafton County, New Hampshire. Little is known about his upbringing. Uh, we know that he was literate, which was probably pretty... Kind of a big deal for yeah, construction guy in the Very much, yeah. yeah. Physician John Martin Harlow uh, knew Gage before his accident, um, and he described him as a perfectly healthy, strong, and active young man, 25 years of age, nervobilious temperament, 5 feet 6 inches, possessing an iron will as well as an iron frame, muscular system unusually well-developed, having had scarcely a day's illness from his childhood to the date of his injury. Nervobilious means that he was excitable and active, uh, like, mentally, and he had a lot of energy and strength in his mind and body, and he was, like, he had a lot of endurance, he was... He was very strong. He was very fit. He uh, was very sharp mentally, just from from the description that we have from this physician who knew him before what happened happened. Right. Uh, so Phineas started probably working with explosives in his youth, which who hasn't, honestly? <laughs> <laughs> Get those little scientific kits for Christmas and oh, you I was start firecrackers. Oh, like bottle rockets. <laughs> Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, but he probably began using explosives on 
farms or in mines and quarries because explosives are the quickest way to knock that crap down. You know, <laughs> just, you know what? Knock it all down. <laughs> Blow her up. <laughs> Blow her up. Blow her right up. <laughs> so we know that he worked on construction of the Hudson River Railroad in New York. Uh, he must have been pretty good at it. He was either a blasting foreman or an independent contractor for railway projects. Uh, so he was he was good at what he did. His employers described him as their most efficient and capable foreman, a shrewd, smart businessman, very energetic and persistent in executing all his plans of operation. He was so good that he even commissioned a custom-made tamping iron, a tamping rod, which is used for setting explosive charges, which I'll talk about in a minute because that is very vital to this story. I was going to say, just so you know, that's really important. That's a really important thing. It's a really important fact in the story. So that's kind of all the the history we have of him. Really not a lot is is known about Phineas Gage Lake's upbringing, but a lot is known about what What happened happened to him on September 13th of 1848. So I got to throw this in. So he's about 25. Mm Mm-hmm. When he had this accident, he seems like he was a very successful young man. He was really good at what he did. Very attractive. Very handsome. And yet, we're told that he didn't have wife or children. Right. And by 25, in that day and age, that was kind of unique, I think. Was he just married to his career? Maybe so. I didn't see a lot about his dad after the accident. And, I mean, this is totally speculation, but it could be that he was more focused on, like, taking care of his family. mm because I, I heard a lot about his, like, mother and sisters well, and how they helped him after his I, accident. Because after his, after his accident, he went back and was right. with his mother, right? So, yeah. So, it and could be something You're right. Like it that. didn't talk about his dad being around at that time. So, maybe he was... Could be. Had become the head yeah, of the household. Because so. he was first born. Mm. He was oldest. We are speculating on all yes, this. Yes, this, uh, this, this is, is total speculation. speculation but, but <laughs> okay. I'm just saying, why didn't this how do you have a wife? <laughs> <laughs> He was just too busy. He was he married was to his explosives. Yeah. Well, you know. He was <laughs> It's like I don't need a love life. My my work life is explosive enough. Oh, that was a good one. Thanks. No, it okay. wasn't. Anyway. Anyway. On September 13th, 1848, Phineas was directing a working that was blasting rock to prepare a roadbed for the Rutland and Burlington Railroad. It was just south of Cavendish, Vermont. And this is where that tamping rod comes back in. So when you set a blast, you put a hole really deep in the rock. Why are you laughing? Because our last episode, you were describing gymnastics in great detail. And we talked about how (laughs) you were not really a gymnast, but you're very good at describing all the twisties they do. And now, and now she's describing with great detail with her hands, like she's actually doing it. She's setting a charge. Through this podcast, I am becoming a master of so many, so many disciplines. So you could like set a charge and then do many twisties. And then do a twisty, twisty. You backflip away from it so you don't get hit in the head. Yes. If if only Phineas had done such a thing. If only Phineas had done a triple back handstand hand flip he kind of sort of did well at least the rod did (laughs) okay i'm sorry i I was just distracted by your ability to shift from one from one talent to another as you speak through this thanks i guess okay please go on explaining how you set a charge sure so what you do you bore a hole (laughs) if you want to do this later in the day this is how you do it don't try this at home. <laughs> Don't even try this at Don't your work anywhere. site because it didn't go well for Phineas, okay? So you bore a hole 
in a rock and you Mm -hmm. put the explosives in there and the blasting powder and all that good stuff. And Mm -hmm. then what you do is you put like sand or clay or something on top of it. And then you use that tamping rod to tamp it down, tamp the the sand, the the like insulating stuff down Mm -hmm. basically because that directs the blast where you want it to go. Mm -hmm. Which I don't know why it wouldn't just blow, whatever. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. So let's describe the tamping rod for a minute. The tamping rod was one and a quarter inches in diameter. We're both making that size with our hand. Sipsters, do it at home. (laughs) You kind of put your little, if you do like the okay symbol with your hand, that's kind of how big it was. Oh, Um, it's hurting my head. Well, (laughs) (laughs) and you're not even Phineas Gage. (laughs) I know it's coming and it's not good. One and a quarter inches in diameter, three feet, seven inches long, so about a meter. Seven inches long. And it weighed 13 and a quarter pounds. (sighs) I am unsure what made it custom. I don't know what he, like, because it was custom made. I don't know what made it custom. And the top was like tapered. I don't, I also don't know why. Like, it was pointy. The top mm-hmm. was pointed. Well, I think that's how it was custom. Like, it was- He made it sharp? It was sharp on one end and, yeah, maybe he had a premonition that it was- <laughs> I don't know. This thing's got to go through something I, bad. Yeah, this is not going to go well. Maybe he used it, you know, for different things. And maybe so he, he needed stabbed point- people with it on his, needed- in his free time? Maybe he was a whaler. Maybe he was a whaler and he <laughs> got- <laughs> It in was his, a harpoon. In his next career, he was going to be a whaler. Half tamping rod, half harpoon. <laughs> Maybe when he walked home from work at night, he came across like wild animals and he, <laughs> he I don't just know. needed to stab them with his tamping rod. <laughs> Maybe it was like a pool cue. It is- <laughs> You know those custom pool cues? They like you, they take them out of their or case and they like put it together. He classes in the evening and, he and he's it for a pointer. <laughs> See, there are many uses for Sisters, this tamping tweet rod. us what you think he also used his tamping rod for. What else could he use his tamping rod for? But so, he had it custom made so because he knew he was going to have multitasking I with guess, it. I guess that's why. <laughs> So as he was tamping the material down for the explosion, so he's like leaned over, tamping, tamping this down. Mom's already making cringy faces. Uh, and Anna's acting it out. So he was distracted by some of his workmates and he turned his head to say something to them, which put his head over the hole. And something happened. The rod like sparked against the rock uh-huh. and made a spark and... Boom. Boom goes the dynamite, baby. Pop goes the Blast. Weekend. And the blast sent the rod <sighs> up. <laughs> it hurts my TMJ. <laughs> I'm, it's triggering Sisters, my TMJ. Don't, don't, don't oh, grit your triggering. teeth too yeah, much while yeah. you're listening to this. So it entered the left side of his face under his jaw, like went on the underside of his jaw, continued out the upper jaw Possibly it said fracturing the cheekbone and then passed behind the left eye. See, that's why I thought he lost his eye, but it went right behind his eye, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, behind the eye, through the left side of the brain, the, the like front part of the brain, and then completely out of the top of the skull through the frontal bone. The rod landed 80 feet away. 80 feet. Think of the imp- feet away. Think of how hard that blast must have been. Yeah, I, I, I just, I can't even wrap my brain around how he was alive. <laughs> Don't talk about Don't wrapping wrap your brain. <laughs> Phineas could wrap his brain around. <laughs> oh, that's such a bad joke. Oh. In a way, I feel like 
it had to be going so fast that maybe that's part that's of what why I was he just did gonna say. survive. It yeah, just went like if it was if you got stabbed in the brain, it like stays in there, but it just went like woo, like yeah. so fast to, to fly eighty feet and yeah. stuck in the ground. I oh, heard did it? Yeah, like stuck point down. Oh my god! I heard that it was covered in viscera. Yes. <laughs> Yes, that was makes a lot of sense. Some chunks. So obviously, <laughs> gross, gross. I'm sorry. We're going to be worse. talking about chunks a lot. In this I episode. know it's going to get worse. <laughs> it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. So obviously, Phineas was thrown backwards because, as you do, he landed on his back. He convulsed a few times. Like this should have been it, right? This should have been lights out. Yeah. Instead, this absolute madman was talking. Within a few minutes of what happened, he was able to get up and walk with very little assistance, and he sat upright in a cart ride as they took him back to his lodging in in Cavendish? What was that? Whatever that town was. They took him back to town. 30 minutes after the incident, a physician, Edward Williams, found Gage sitting in a chair outside the hotel where he was staying, and he was greeted with one of the great understatements of medical history, and I'm just going to read this. <laughs> When I drove up, he said, Doctor, here's business enough for you. I first noticed the wound upon the head before I alighted from my carriage, the pulsations of the brain being very distinct. The top of the head appeared somewhat like an inverted funnel, as if some wedge-shaped body had passed from below upward. Mr. Gage, during the time I was examining the wound, was relating the manner in which he was injured to the bystanders. I did not believe Mr. Gage's statements at the time, but thought he was deceived. Mr. Gage persisted in saying that the bar went through his head. Mr. Gage got up and vomited. This is so gross. <laughs> and so did everybody in the ground. This is so gross. You don't even know. Mr. Oh. Gage got up and vomited. The effort of vomiting pressed out of a oh. half a teacup full of brain. She <laughs> fell on the floor. Ah! See, this is what I warned you about, Sipsters. <laughs> if you're vomiting right now, it's not my fault. Gross, 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 gross. <laughs> so he lost, I mean, at least a teacup full of brain. At the very minimum, right? One of the things I really can't comprehend is why he didn't bleed out, like bleed to death. Yeah, I'm because a little if, bit concerned about even that Even like too. The, the brain pulsing, I would assume, was almost like the beat of his heart, right? <laughs> I didn't Isn't know that, brains Your brains pulsed. don't pulse unless it's your heartbeat. Yeah. So, you know, like, this is a very personal note. When I was little, my brother... <laughs> went yeah. through a glass door. Oh yeah. And he got a puncture wound in his the top of his head. Which head wounds bleed the most and, of any wound. And my mom said that on the way to the hospital. I mean he had <laughs> other wounds too, but that she had to hold a towel on the on that top of his head because it was literally like squirting every time his heart would beat, you know? Which is what I'm picturing this is here. What's with happening this. here yeah. Yes. And I'm like, oh my god! So and nobody's nobody's holding it in. I mean, nobody's. I know. Apparently, just they're just letting him go puke. It's like, God. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Well, and one another account that I read said that like the bed where he was laying was like totally Cover. blood. Uh-huh. Like he was just like, I I honestly don't. They must have done some kind of transfusions. Y- they didn't. They yeah. don't talk about it, but they had to, or he would have died. Yeah, I read. I read that they put blood in him at some okay. point. So they must have done a transfusion situation. I mean, it, it obviously was not. This is the, t- they talk about later how when he got sick later in his life, spoiler alert, he l- dies later. <laughs> like he yeah. lives for a while. But many years. Well, well 
enough years, years after you've gotten a rod through your head, right, okay? Right, right, But they, like, bled him, which is uh, an old, tiny medical practice of, of bloodletting as a form of medical treatment. So I don't know how, I don't know if they <laughs> even had, blood even to blood. oh, this was years later, but, oh, okay. but, like, I don't even know if they had the technology to do transfusions. To do transfusions. That's what I was Did wondering. they just, like, pour, blo- like, a cup of blood in the top of his head? <laughs> That's like, so the fu- gross. Oh God, I'm gonna barf. <laughs> <laughs> so, so going back to to how Phineas is doing, um, so Harlow, not the monkey guy that we've talked about. I know. Whenever you say his name, I think of the monkeys. Yeah, we've we've talked about uh, Harry Harlow and his monkeys, which I can probably figure out. Which uh, Harry Harlow had a lot more fun job than this Harlow, who has to put this guy's brains back in. Well. They don't actually. Harry Harlow was kind of a He was jerk. kind of a bad guy, too. Um, yeah. yeah, episode 35. That one also gets upsetting. So if you're just in the mood to listen to upsetting <laughs> episodes of our, of our podcast, go listen to 35, too. So Harlow, the, the physician that had known Phineas previously, previous to the accident, uh, took over the case pretty shortly, like the same evening he was there. And he, he even talks about like he, he was, I think, a military surgeon, but he even said like it was pretty terrible even even with that, uh-huh. even with that experience under his belt, but, but he that said, experience helped him to oh, save yeah, his life. Absolutely, mm-hmm. there were there were a couple scholars that I saw that said like if Harlow hadn't been the doctor that was taking care of him, he probably wouldn't have lived. Right, right. like Harlow was able to do a lot that other doctors of the time probably couldn't have. But Harlow even said he who said the the patient bore his sufferings with the most heroic firmness. He recognized me at once and he said he hoped he was not much hurt. He seemed to be perfectly conscious, but was exhausted from the hemorrhage. So yeah, he was losing all the blood in his body. Right, right. Oh my god. But even late that evening, like the same evening, Harlow said that Phineas's mind was clear. He said there was a constant agitation of his legs being alternately retracted and extended. He said, Phineas says he does not care to see his friends as he shall be at work in a few days. Oh, my God. (laughs) He's like, no, no, no. I'll talk to him when I get back to the job. It's fine. But it makes sense that there were things going on with his nerves. He was like, I just got to go back to work and like walk it off. I don't know. It maybe he I was mean, just a very optimistic or person. Or was he like just so in shock? <laughs> That's probably what was happening. Just yeah. like this, this just, can't be that bad. I'm yeah. fine. Oh my gosh! Because <laughs> you could not. I'm going to say the wrap your brain around things again. <laughs> you could not comprehend that that spike actually went through your head, and y- you know you couldn't. Yeah, yeah. You would just have to think, wow, I got I got a hit in the head pretty hard, or. Right. But he, no, he was saying, like. Oh, he told the people, didn't he? He was telling what was happening, what happened. Oh, God. And and the doctor was like, no, I can't be right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This guy's funny, but that ain't right. I don't think that's true. (laughs) So he was pretty optimistic. (laughs) He was too optimistic, one might say. In the days that followed, he went back and forth between being pretty cognizant and recognizing people and being pretty mentally there to being pretty delirious to the point where 12 days after the accident, he was almost comatose. He only answered in like one syllable words. And that was only if you like really tried to get him to talk. The 14th day, the note from Harlow says, comatose, but will answer in monosyllables if aroused. Will not take nourishment unless strongly urged. The friends and attendants are in hourly expectancy of his death and have his coffin and clothes in readiness. Wow. So they're expecting him to die. Right. I, I mean, they're like, it's just a matter of time before he dies. But Harlow, 
was not giving up. Harlow was like, no, no, we're going to get this guy fine. Uh, so he did a lot of gross stuff with, um, yeah. How do I put this politely? Things growing on Phineas's brain. Oh, God, it's so gross. There were some fungal issues. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> Here it comes again. Dude, I'm not, I'm not even going to go into that. Yeah, thank you. That's I'm not the, even going to go into As I remember it. now, that's when I started to bang <laughs> a little when I read that section. So yeah, there's yeah. there's a lot that Harlow did. Again, as I said, that other physicians would not have done, would not have mm-hmm. even known how to do. Right. But Harlow, because of his experience, was able to take care of this and clean the wound kind of better than anyone else might have. Uh, on the 24th day after the accident, Phineas could raise himself up. He could even walk a step or two. And a month after that, he was up and about, almost like normal. He was walking around the house. He was able to even, like, get out into town. (laughs) This part's kind of sweet and also crazy. Uh, He wanted to get back to his family in New Hampshire so bad that he went, he, like, tried to go, and he went without a coat and with too thin of boots. So he got himself, like, a chill and a fever. (laughs) Vinny! Like, come on, dude. Dude! And, so and his, also, somebody take him home. I know, just take him home, right? Yeah. So the doctor said he appears to be in a way of recovering if he can be controlled. <laughs> Can't hold him down. <laughs> Unstoppable. <laughs> By November, 10 weeks after the injury, he was strong enough to return to his family home in New Hampshire. He kept improving to the point where the next February, he was able to do work around the farm. He was, like, helping keep the farm going. He even helped with plowing, like, in the middle of that year. So he was, he was fine. He was doing okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Locking it off. Doing all right. Oh, my Lord. So obviously, despite his optimism that he could get back to work in a day, he wasn't actually able to get his railroad job back at all. He kind of became a living museum exhibit for a little while at Barnum's American Museum in New York City, which is not related to, like, Barnum, Barnum and, and Bailey Bailey's Circus. That's what I thought of when I first heard you say it. Well, and I believe that that has been kind of misconstrued as like he was a circus act for a while. Like he mm-hmm. was a sideshow exhibit. He never was. He was in like a museum. Like he was exhibited at a museum for a little while. He even, there have been advertisements that have been found for public appearances, which he might have arranged himself, like promoted himself in New Hampshire and Vermont, which supports a statement that Harlow made that said that Phineas was making public appearances in most of the larger New England towns. Years later, it was written about him that he was a shrewd and intelligent man and quite disposed to do anything of that sort to turn an honest penny. But he eventually gave up. He stopped doing those kind of public appearances because... Quote, that sort of thing has not much interest for the general public. Hmm. People don't want to see a dude with a hole in his head? (laughs) I feel like that would be a big draw. I feel like people would be lining up. You would think so. But apparently not. Apparently it was only, you know, to like scholarly types and scientific types that was the main audience for that. Guys, you can see my brain. Look how my brain is pulsating. You don't, you're telling me people don't want to see that? You're telling me, you know how bored people must have been back then? This was before the internet. Yeah, they didn't have Netflix. No, they didn't have Netflix. They they didn't have anything. They had books. Yeah. Do you want to read a book or do you want to look at a guy with a hole in his head? Come on, pay the 10 cents. So for about 18 months, he worked for the owner of a stable and coach service in uh, New Hampshire. And then he was invited to Chile to be a long-distance stagecoach driver. I like how you say Chile. Chile. 
in August 1852 is when he went there. But his health began failing by mid-1859. So he, and he was there for several years being a stagecoach driver. After his health started failing, he went to San Francisco. He arrived, in his mother's words, in a feeble condition, having failed very much since he left New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. Had many ill turns while in Valparaiso, especially during the last year, and suffered much from hardship and exposure. But his mother and sister took care of him in San Francisco. Uh, they had relocated there from New Hampshire around the time he went to Chile. But he was anxious to work. <laughs> he just loved working this dude. <laughs> he just loved having a job. He was good at having a purpose in his life. He must, that must have been it. He just really liked being active, Mm -hmm. which makes sense based on what they said about him before the accident, that he was just really active and he was really excited and he was, you know, very fit. I mean, like, it makes sense that he would want to keep working. So in Santa Clara, he worked with a farmer. Unfortunately, in February 1860, he began to have epileptic seizures. Uh, He lost his job and uh, Harlow wrote that as the seizures increased in frequency and severity he continued to work in various places though he could not do much Mm. he's just unstoppable Mm -hmm. but he couldn't he couldn't do a lot of things because of the seizures on may 18th 1860 phineas left santa clara and went home to his mother at five o'clock a.m on the 20th he had a severe convulsion the family physician was called in and bled him the convulsions Mm. were repeated frequently during the succeeding day and night And then he died late on May 21st, 1860. He was buried in San Francisco's Lone Mountain Cemetery. But seven years later, his body was exhumed and his skull and the tamping rod were taken to Dr. Harlow. Today, both the skull and the tamping rod can be seen at the Harvard University School of Medicine. Wow. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about the brain. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. One of the things when you do, when you start doing some reading about Phineas is that it tells you over and over again that there's been a lot of misinformation about him because people really exaggerated his personality changes. Mm -hmm. But there was some reported, right, even by Harlow and um, the people closest to him. Yeah. That he did have some personality change, especially right after the accident, like Mm -hmm. within his healing period. Right. Which makes sense. The Uh brain was rebuilding itself, basically. Exactly. I mean, that's so we talked, we've talked a few times about neuroplasticity and mm-hmm. how like the brain can rebuild. And, and that includes like physical restructuring of the brain. So, which is amazing. It is amazing. And obviously, the trauma to Phineas's brain was so extensive that the brain couldn't rebuild that, but it probably mended. It, it probably did, you know build around it basically Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. one of the things that they stressed was that they were all amazed that he had not lost any of his memory Mm -hmm. like his personality traits changed a little bit but that he had maintained everything but what we know of the brain now it makes sense that he didn't lose his memory but Mm -hmm. talk about like his frontal lobe baby yeah 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 let's let's do a little bit of critical examination of what happened in this dude's brain so kind of like you just said the bummer here is that we're not really sure I mean, first of all, science of the time was even worse than the science of now. And even (laughs) now, we're not super sure how the brain works. We're still, like, really trying to... I mean, the time when this was happening, like, phrenology was happening. Mm -hmm. This is kind of concurrent with phrenology. And if you want to hear more about phrenology, go listen to episode 27, Mm -hmm. because we talk about phrenology in that episode. But phrenology... Oh, yeah. Hey, you have mm-hmm. a little thing. Mm-hmm. I have a little chart of it. Mm-hmm. Because that's because so, what Anna said, you know, in that time, they believed in the way that I think Anna described it in that 
Some of uh, meat sack. I don't remember. There, there, <laughs> there are little sacks. There are of- little tiny sacks of meat within your larger sack mm-hmm. of meat, and each little sack controls a different thing. Right. So in the day when this happened, the the scientists of the day were looking at Phineas and trying to decide what where, little sacks of meat got what to sacks. <laughs> yeah, what sacks got thrown out in the teacup at the one what ended up on the floor in the teacup what was what was coating the rod what was in the teacup and so there were a lot of arguments among the scientific community at that time whether or not it was true that certain Mm -hmm. mental functions were localized Mm -hmm. and and so both sides were kind of looking at this trying to study to see if it proved which side it proved basically um which as we know now obviously the brain functions are so like they're not localized. Right. They are about the interconnectivity of different brain lobes and their things happen right. in a lot of different brain areas and they all work together. So obviously we we now know that that is wrong. But yeah, at the time they were like, oh, yeah, yeah your, one, uh, your once, ability to set the table ooh. got knocked out. <laughs> once um, science, scientific dude, but <laughs> what he was, his name was Eugene Depew, brainologist. Brainologist. He wrote at the time that Gage proved that the brain is not localized, characterizing him as a, quote, striking case of destruction of the so-called speech center. Mm, That's what they thought was there? Yes, one of them was the speech center. Another scientist replied uh, by using Gage, not only studying him, but also they had made some woodcuts of his skull. And, you know, they were studying it. This is way back in 1868 when this this guy wrote a paper on it by using, like, mm-hmm. a model of his head mm-hmm. and the rod. His supported the thesis of localization because he said there were certain things about his personality changing, mm-hmm. um, especially that where the rod came out was called the organ of veneration, that spot in phrenology. Okay. Um, which is related to religion and God and also respect and authority. Say respect, yeah. Respecting authority. And so reports at the time were that he was a bit disrespectful and maybe used some vulgar language that he didn't normally use. Right. And even though some of that has been exaggerated, there are some reports that are pretty. <laughs> reports of his vulgarity have been greatly exaggerated. exaggerated. But I don't know if I had just had a thing. I was dude. <laughs> I think I'd be using some vulgarity. <laughs> I use vulgarity when I have a migraine <laughs> headache, you know? I, I know. When I, I stub know. my toe, I start cursing, like, hey, so, yeah. you milk this for all it's worth, <laughs> bud. So since that time, they have done, like, recreations of his brain. Like They've done, like, know, CT scans of his skull. Right. They've done all this stuff. To try to figure out what actually was mm-hmm. affected by it. Well, and there's even been debate about... So it went up through the left side of his head, but there were even like debates about, okay, so did it hit just the left frontal lobe or did it hit both the frontal lobes, which I'm not sure how people would have thought that would have happened. But they eventually did CT scans of Phineas's actual skull. This was combined. <laughs> this is gross. This combined with how Harlow had like probed the wound with, with his, his like fingers. fingers. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh, he's a good doctor, I guess. But I was going to say for that time, he must have been really good at, I mean, to know, okay, this is the left lobe, that's the right lobe, the yeah. right lobe's okay. Ew, that's ah, gross, man. Ah. Yeah. But they concluded that only the left frontal lobe was damaged by the blast. This is interesting. As they looked at, like, the skull and the, the brain, they said that the, like, entry wound was smaller than the rod. So they said that what happened 
was like the brain and the skull like hinged open, let it go through and then like closed back up. Wow. Isn't that bonkers? Like it like open to accommodate uh-huh. the rod going through it. The birth of a rod. It's kind of like what happens yeah. to lady parts. Yeah. <laughs> or it a hinges snake. open and then. Yeah. yeah. I thought of a snake too when you said hinge. <laughs> but yeah. But let's talk about the left frontal lobe for a second. Let's. So what the, happens there? The entire frontal cortex is considered the action cortex. Um, and that means it's devoted to action of one kind or another. So skeletal movement, uh, movement of our eyes, speech control, even like expression of emotions comes in that. The frontal lobe is the the part of the brain that's responsible for like executive functions. So things like planning for the future, judgment, decision-making skills, attention span, inhibition, which mm. I think is the big word here. That's a big one, yeah. Because if, you're, if your inhibition is down, you don't care what's socially acceptable, mm-hmm. and you're just going to act a little weird. Right. <laughs> and this is mainly what we see with Phineas. So, like, accounts of how he changed, obviously, like you said, were greatly exaggerated. But what we do know is he kind of just acted odd. He acted in ways that were described as, like, inappropriate for social settings. Right. Van Horn et al. They were the same people that looked at the CT scans of the Mm -hmm. skull. Concluded that the damage to Gage's white matter was as or more significant to Gage's mental changes than gray matter damage in the cerebral cortex. Remember when we talked about white matter and gray matter when we talked about the Yeah, I still don't understand it. Uh I don't either. (laughs) With the supposed difference between male and female. We talked about that a great deal. Right. Well, and if... If you have a teacup full of white matter, and gray matter <laughs> I'm going to keep going back to the teacup thing because it's gross. And uh, <laughs> so, Sipsters, you probably remember that we've talked many times on the podcast about frontal lobe when we talk about like the maturity of people and how mm-hmm. it takes until you're around 25 years old for your frontal lobe to be completely. Oh, dang. Poor Phineas. He had just online. developed that. It was just there. It was and then just he got there. Out. <laughs> Bummer. <laughs> I didn't think of that before. He's like, my frontal lobe is now fully developed. And (laughs) And then then a rod boom. (laughs) Well, that's so sad. (laughs) He's fine. Yeah. He did okay. I'm fine. I'm fine. But even like when it comes to the exaggeration. So when I said, you know, after he started to have epileptic seizures, um, Harlow was describing like, okay, well, he couldn't really hold down a job because of the epileptic seizures. Like people even took that. And, like, ran with it and said, like, that means he never held down a job. That means he was, like, a vagrant after the accident. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a lot that was said that he didn't do. Like, people even said, like, oh, he mistreated his wife and children, of which he had none. Yeah, I read that, too. They said there was, like, a lack of forethought and concern for the future, which totally makes sense based on, like, the executive functioning of the frontal lobe. I mm-hmm. mean, if that were true, I would believe it. Um, but they, yet he went out and got jobs and stuff afterwards. So, yeah, and and yeah. people were saying, like, he would, like, gamble a lot or he would beg and, like, be dr- a drifter and drinking or he would, like, get into brawls. You know, quite frankly, some of that might, if any of that happened, could have been trauma. It oh, could have just totally. been trauma response. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if you think about it. Yeah, if I had a, yeah. a rod through my skull, I would. I mean, but it goes back to if any of that happened, mm-hmm. it does make sense that he had lost that frontal lobe ability. Yeah, but I mean, after he recovered, like he went back and helped like his his family at their at their farm and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But after that, he he kept like two or three jobs mm-hmm. until he died, basically. 
Right. I mean, he was very self-sufficient and he was he was extremely capable, mm-hmm. I, I think. So obviously the, the biggest stuff that we have about Gage comes from Harlow. Um, so I'm going to read just like, uh, it's kind of a big paragraph, but it, it's what Harlow said in the early days as Phineas was recovering. He said the equilibrium or balance, so to speak, between his intellectual faculties and animal propensities seems to have been destroyed. He is fitful, irreverent, indulging at times in the grossest profanity, which was not previously his custom, manifesting but little deference for his fellows, impatient of restraint or advice when it conflicts with his desires. So think about when he wanted to go home. And people were like, you can't go home. He's like, I'm leaving. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just going to go. You can't tell me what to do. Mm. At times, pertinaciously obstinate, yet capricious and vacillating. Does he have to use such big words? (laughs) Harlow, get over yourself. Harlow, you can stick your fingers in people's brains, but uh, don't use such big words. Devising many plans of future operations, which are no sooner arranged than they are abandoned in turn for others appearing more feasible. So again, it goes to this like- Sounds like a teenager. Well, (laughs) yeah, the executive functioning thing just isn't Mm -hmm. there. Right. One of the executive functioning things is planning for the future. And if he was like making plans, but then abandoning them, it's because that part of the brain isn't working. Right. Uh, A child in his intellectual capacity and manifestations, he has the animal passions of a strong man. Previous to his injury, although untrained in the schools, he possessed a well-balanced mind and was looked upon by those who knew him as a shrewd, smart businessman, very energetic and persistent in executing all his plans of operation. In this regard, his mind is radically changed so decidedly that his friends and acquaintances said he was no longer Gage. Mm. That's sad. Well, and that's probably what started all the stories. That yeah. that, but so so what no you're longer saying, though, gauge, right, right? That part was taken and really latched on to right. that he was so, a completely different person. Right. But from what you've said, though, this was in his early recovery, right? Mm-hmm. What you just read, mm-hmm. and so how amazing that the brain repaired to some extent where he did go then and have jobs, and because right. you have to have some kind of executive functioning to be able to. Well, he like worked as a stagecoach driver yeah. and stuff. So he had I to mean, know where he was going. And well, and that's actually his stagecoach job was probably something that really helped him in recovery. So, based on not only this case but many other cases, what we now know about like damage to the frontal lobe and how to help someone recover from this is to give them a lot of structure, to give them enough structure so that they can relearn things about like social and personal skills. Mm -hmm. Um, And it talked about how adding structure to tasks by like a written list and and like is is really effective in coping with frontal lobe damage. But they they talked about how like especially when he was in Chile, like he would have to rise early in the morning, he would have to get himself ready, he would have to get the the horses ready and like put harnesses on them and then be at the departure point at a certain time. Basically do the same things every day at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they talked about how that gave him a structure that required control of the impulsiveness that he would have had and how you had to develop some foresight because like when you're driving and stuff, you have to plan for turns and you have to like know where you're going and stuff like that. So because he was in such a highly structured environment where there was a really clear expectation of the tasks that he needed to do, they said that it resembled like regiments for rehabilitation that were first developed by like soldiers, like World War II soldiers who were suffering frontal lobe injuries. Mm. So even before 
before anyone knew that's what was happening, Gage kind of fell into this job that gave him the kind of structure his brain needed Wow, to fix itself a little bit. Which I think is amazing. His life is really amazing, isn't it? Yeah. There's, there's amazing twists and turns in there. Yeah. But not in the bar. It's not a crowbar. <laughs> straight, straight rod. Yeah, that was one of the things that we found when we were doing our deep diving that there were supposedly some people call it the crow. What did they call it? The, crow- the American crowbar case. But we, Ann and I can't figure out why anybody would call it that because it's not at all a crowbar. It's not a crowbar. And honestly, like you said, I had never heard it until I started doing reading. Mm-hmm. No, I just always knew it as yeah. Phineas Gage. Is there anything else that we should say about Phineas? I don't know. I don't think so. You know, I got a lot of respect for this guy. Some people would have just been like, I guess I'll die. <laughs> I have to be honest. I think <laughs> that would be would have been. I'd be like, <laughs> walking to the light. I'm going. This sounds hokey, but I mean, I do think probably we talked about resilience in our last episode. Yeah, exactly. I just that too. His natural resilience was like, let's get back to work. Let's get going. Yeah. And I think that forward, kind of forward momentum gave him enough get up Mm -hmm. and go to. We've talked about in, in other episodes that sometimes our clients say something like, I know other people have it worse than me. <laughs> and we always talk about how we say to our clients, you shouldn't compare your stuff to other people. You just deal. But in this situation, the next time I have a bad headache, I'm going to be like, well, <laughs> at, at least, least I'm not, not tamping rod <laughs> through my skull. <laughs> so at the beginning, before we started this, I, I asked Anna, what, so like, what's the moral of this or what's the summary of this idea? I mean, a big part of it is that we we learned a lot. Yeah. Even now, we're still learning from it because mm-hmm. they're still studying it, you know. Right. About the effects of, you know, the, the function of our brain and the parts of our brain. Yeah. But I I agree also that part of the moral of the story is, is resilience. Yeah. You got to <laughs> do what you can with what you've got, I guess. That's I mean. Right. Where there's a will, there's a way. There, I don't know. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, attitude is everything, I think, uh-huh. was thrown around. Yeah. yeah. Because, I mean, he really could have just, like, sat around and done nothing. But I truly believe that if he would have done that, he would have died much earlier than he did. Probably so. Like, the the way, like I said, like, the, the jobs that he had and the kind of structure he gave himself and just, even just the ho- hope, I guess, is a weird word for it. I guess he had hope that he well, would. He must have. Yeah, he had optimism that he was going to be able to return to work i mean we don't really know much about like it's too bad that we didn't have some of his yeah somewhere, someone didn't write down some of his thoughts he like, was literate why, he should have yeah why why did he have hope why mm-hmm. did he want and and we know at least it says that he never married he never even though he's hot he, he was hot and he didn't get married i, I mean maybe, <laughs> i need a wife like i need a hole in my head <laughs> <laughs> oh i've already got one of those <laughs> maybe he was gay that's some high speculation. Well, it was in the 1800s. I suppose. And so they wouldn't have talked about it. Sure. In the I, literature and stuff. I guess. They wouldn't have said that he was married because they wouldn't have considered wouldn't that. Have been married. But, I mean, we also know that by the time he was 25, he was like a foreman. I, I mean, he really right. was just really good at his job and probably worked really hard. So yeah. it could have just been that. He was just too busy. Yeah. Yeah. Or maybe he was asexual. Maybe he just didn't care. Maybe. He just didn't want to get married. He just didn't want to. I think it's cool. I think it's really interesting. I, I think it's sad that it's been exaggerated so much just because we lose some of the actual, like, how amazing it is. Mm-hmm. It's amazing without the exaggeration. 
I think it's more amazing that he didn't turn into the person that people said he turned into. Exactly. People saying he was like this vagrant and started fights and like, yeah, he was kind of uncouth. Like he he used some profanity (laughs) a little more than he did before. But I think it's much more interesting the ways that he did change in actuality versus the crazy, crazy changes that people say happened. And the resilience is very impressive. Yeah, it is. And that our brain has amazing power to heal. Yeah, man. That was one of the things I read that like this this is a case that people point to and it's like, look, <laughs> this dude's brain can heal from mm-hmm. this. Mm-hmm. Your brain can heal from whatever it has gone through. Mm-hmm. Like if you've got trauma and your brain is restructured around that, think of that trauma as your tamping rod. <laughs> <laughs> I find this topic a little hard to laugh at, and yet I've been laughing at it, so I'm so sorry. I know. You said at the beginning, like, this is not very funny. We're not going to laugh. We're not going to laugh. We're not going to laugh. So serious. This just goes to prove nothing's too serious. Tragedy plus time equals comedy. And this was in the 1860s, so it's fine. Enough time's gone by. Enough time. Yeah. He would probably be laughing with us. Maybe he is. (laughs) It does boggle my mind a little bit that he didn't write anything himself. Uh huh. Especially because they made such a point to mention that he was literate. And the fact that he went like and kind of on his own did the little tour of, look, this is what happened to me. It's like he wanted people to know. Yeah. He wanted people to know about it. Yeah. Somehow it was lost along the way, maybe. I wonder if someday it'll turn up. Yeah, we didn't find the picture of him until mm-hmm. 2009. So maybe we'll eventually find some of his writings or something, a diary or a journal. Amazing. That would be cool. That's, that's all we've got for Phineas Gage. Okay, that's the, Phineas. The weird and wonderful and wild story of Phineas Gage. So I'm going to thank the Sipsters for joining us because that's kind of my thing that I do at the end of our episodes. I say thank you, Sipsters. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I really appreciate you being here. Okay, thank the Sipsters. On our last episode, you said we need to have a, a sound effect for bullying. <laughs> I think so. Okay. I'm sorry I'm stopped bullying you. I'm not going to bully you anymore. I'm sorry my frontal lobe got damaged. (laughs) (laughs) Just thank you, Sipsters. We appreciate you. Thank you for the times when you communicate with us, too. We love to hear from you. So thank you for emails or reviews, too. We love to hear those. So please keep listening. We'll we'll, We'll be on 91 next time. We're getting closer and closer to 100. Quick maths. I know. (laughs) 90 plus 1 the is little, 91. The little, the tiny little meat sack that does math in your head is working. It's good. My math meat your sack. Your math meat sack. Gross. <laughs> your math sack. I'll stop. Please do. <laughs> yes. Uh, thank you so much for listening. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all Freudian Sips Pod and all of those, as well as our site, FreudianSipsPod.com. If you want to get a hold of us directly, if you want to send us a picture of your review and your address so we can send you a sticker, if you want to do that, our email is FreudianSipsPod at gmail.com. Or if you have other ideas of what Phineas... Was going to use his yes. rod what for. Else? Why would he what make else? it shaped that way? What else would Phineas use his tamping <laughs> rod for? Nothing dirty. <laughs> well, it's okay. We won't. Nothing dirtier than a brain, a rod that's gone through your brain. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing dirtier than a teacup of brain spilling into the dirt. <laughs> One last time. I heard it. <laughs> so with that being said, please remember to leave us a nice rating and review. 
please disregard, disregard all the gross, the gross stuff, stuff that I just today. said and leave us a nice rating and review wherever you're listening. Uh, in the meantime, before we see you next time, our theme music is Sweeter Vermouth by Kevin McLeod, and it sounds like this. Mm-hmm.